bless uh, the study of your word, Lord, as we do um, open up your word once again. And Lord, we see um, your name declared to us. And so, Father, I pray that we would learn and that we would see your name um, as the characteristics and nature of your name being worked out in the lives of your people. And so, Lord, may we make application tonight. And may we know you more. And, and Lord, have a heart like Moses who desired to just know you more and to fellowship with you and have closeness with you. So, Lord, we give you this time in the study of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. We read in chapter 33, Then the Lord said to Moses, Depart and go up from here, you and the people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt, the land which I swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying to your descendants, I will give it. And I will send my angel before you, and I will drive out the Canaanite and the Amorite, and the Hittite and the Perizzite, and the Hivite and the Jebusites, in verse 3, go up to a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in your midst, lest I consume you on the way, for you are stiff-necked people. And so Moses here told to take the people on into the promised land. Now you recall that Moses was up on the mountain as we began chapter 25. And the last verse of chapter 24 tells us that Moses was up there for a period of 40 days. And as Moses is up there on the mountain, the Lord comes to Moses and says, I'm going to give you the pattern for the tabernacle. So in those chapters, the chapters 25 through 31, we saw the details given concerning the tabernacle and, and all the, the intricate details concerning the tabernacle itself, the furnishings that went into the tabernacle, the courtyard, the priestly garments, all these things that we looked at. And so Moses, as he's up there, all of a sudden down below, the people become very impatient as we opened up chapter 32 last week. And in chapter 32, the people said, we don't know what has become of Moses. They didn't know if Moses died up there on the mountain or when he was going to come down. But in their impatience and, and in their uh, not really uh, desiring to, to seek the Lord at that time, what they did is he said, let us make a God, is what the Hebrew says, that will go before us into the land. Um, and we will say that this is the God that brought us out of Egypt. And so, of course, it was Aaron because of the pressure that he felt from the people and because they were impatient and because he feared the people over fearing God. And rather than Aaron, who is going to be the first high priest here, and it's from his descendants that the priestly line is going to come from. And Aaron, who's supposed to be a godly man, as Moses was up on the mountain, Aaron was supposed to be watching the camp and taking care of the people. But he failed in that because he feared the people over fearing God. And he should have stood up and he should have said, no, we're not going to do this. We're not going to make a God, a false God before us. And already the people who had said and confirmed with the Lord that we will keep this covenant that you gave to us. And we saw the Ten Commandments there in chapter 20. The first commandment, you shall have no other God before me. And in the second commandment is you shall make no graven image before me and, uh, and uh, any idol. And so what they had done is broken those commandments and they put this, this golden calf up as Aaron, of course, as he would give into the people. He said, give me your golden earrings and he would fashion a golden calf as they melted the gold down. And he said, we'll make a feast to the Lord but it was idol worship, and the people rose up to place what the scripture says. And not only did they commit idolatry, but they were committing great immorality as well. So God, up on the mountain, uh, seeing what's going on down below, he says to Moses, Moses, stand back, because I'm going to consume these people, and I'll make a great nation out of you. And you recall that Moses at that time, 
He really had a decision to make. And, and, and it really, his heart begins to be revealed to us at that time because Moses began to plead with the Lord. Moses very easily could have stood back and said, okay, Lord, you know what? Go ahead and consume them because they are stiff-necked people, and they've been whining and complaining ever since we come out into this wilderness. Consume them, and I like the sound of, you know, Father Moses. But what Moses did is he, he's beginning to understand the heart of God. He's beginning to really know the Lord personally and intimately. And that's one of the things that I want to bring out in these chapters, in chapters 20, 32 through 34 here, because Moses here, he is, begins to intercede on behalf of the people. He begins to plead with the Lord, but he's pleading to the heart and the, what he knows to be the heart and the will of the Lord. And he says, Lord, don't consume your people, because remember that that the promise that you gave to them. What is, first of all, Egypt going to say when, you know, when, you know, they came out of Egypt, are, are they going to think you only brought them out here in the wilderness to consume them? And remember that promise that you gave, that you're going to make a great nation out of who? Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. That's the promise that you gave to them. And as we went through the book of Genesis, you recall that God reiterated that promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The covenant is going to go through you guys and, and through your line. And, and it is you, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, that you guys are going to be uh, the ones that are going to see your descendants numbered the, the, as the stars in the skies and the sand on the seashore. And a great nation is going to come from you. And so here is is Moses. He's appealing again to the heart of God, what he knows to be the promises of God, the heart of God, that he's a compassionate God, he's a gracious God, he's a merciful God. We're going to see in the next chapter here that God's going to declare his name as being gracious and merciful and long-suffering and full of goodness and truth. And we're seeing God work out uh, his name, that is his nature and his character, to his people here. And so that's what Moses is appealing to. Hey, and also know that you promise. You promise that you're going to bring them into the promised land. You promise Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that they would go into the land of a stranger for four generations, but then they would come back. And so the Lord relented from uh, the harm that he was going to do to them. And we know that, that that phraseology in Hebrew means that he showed compassion for them. And then we also know um, that uh, in the scriptures it talks about how um, the Lord, they, he did not consume them because he is a compassionate God. And so here we see, again, Moses just appealing to the Lord, showing a love for the people and a concern for the people. Back in chapter 3, Moses didn't want to go. He didn't want to go to Pharaoh. He didn't want anything to do with it. Lord, I'm slow of speech. They're not going to believe me. Can't you send somebody else? And, and Moses did go. And, and the Lord is, is, is working in Moses' heart. And somehow I can't help but think that the Lord kind of got a smile on his face as Moses is, is working out all of this. And, and Lord, please, you know, don't consume them. Lord, what about your promises? And, and I think the Lord is, is perhaps in a way, if you would, uh, thinking, you know, he's understanding my heart. And, and he, he's beginning to, to know that my promises, that I keep my promises. And, and he does. And even in Timothy, we read that Paul, he would write to young Timothy, if we are faithless, God is always faithful. He cannot deny himself. Moses knew that God was going to keep his word and he was going to keep his covenant through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and bring them into the land. So this is what we've seen. So now we saw that Moses went back up on the mountain. He, he came down from the mountain, didn't he? He dealt with the people. He said, you've sinned a great sin. And, you know, the, the golden calf was uh, made uh, 
to where it was uh, ground to um, powder. It, it was burnt, and then uh, they were drinking it. It, it showed the foolishness of, of believing that this golden calf can actually be a god. I mean, how do you make a god? And, and that this golden calf's going to lead them into the promised land and, and brought them out of Egypt. And then Moses dealt with Aaron, didn't he? He said, Aaron, what have you done? What, you, what have the people done to you that you would make the people sin? And, and Aaron began to make excuses, didn't he? Well, it's, it's the people. You know, they're stiff-necked people. They're rebellious. And, and you delayed coming down from the mountain, Moses, so it's partly your fault as well. And he, he continued to make excuses and then lie. He said, we, you know, we threw the golden earrings in the, in the fire and poof, out came a calf. So Aaron really has got some growing to do. As a matter of fact, as, as I mentioned last week in, in, in Psalm 78, at this point, God wanted to kill Aaron, but again, because of, of his great sin, but God is a gracious and merciful God. So he didn't. And so Moses goes back up on the mountain. He says, Lord, they've sinned a great sin, um, and, and he didn't make excuses, but Lord, forgive them of their sin. And so Moses was willing to suffer consequences on behalf of the children of Israel, pleading, Lord, forgive them, and if not, blot me out of the book which you have written. So we talked about all that, but then I want to remind you of verse 34 of chapter 32, as the Lord said, Now therefore go lead the people to a place which I have spoken to you. And that is a verse worth underlining. Because you know what? You cannot lead people, whether it's your children, your family, people that you minister to, unless you're hearing from God, where are you going to lead them to the place that God wants you to if you're not hearing from Him, if He's not speaking to you, if you're not spending time with Him? And so a very important principle for us to learn, and Moses is one that we're going to see as we continue reading that is going to be one that spent time with the Lord, and he's knowing the Lord and wanting to know Him more intimately. So Moses, go to the land. I'll drive out the inhabitants. I'll keep my promise that I gave to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. But here's the thing. My presence isn't going to go with you. And that's going to grieve Moses and the children of Israel. So verse 4, And when the people heard this bad news, they mourned, and no one put on his ornaments. For the Lord had said to Moses, Say to the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I could come up in your midst in one moment and consume you. Now therefore take off your ornaments, that I may know what to do to you. So the children of Israel stripped themselves of their ornaments by Mount Horeb. And so the people mourning, putting away their ornaments, it was a way for them to mourn. It was a sign of repentance. Some believe that perhaps that the ornaments had um, some idolatrous characteristics that they probably had, and so they put them away. And so verse 7, Moses took his tent and pitched it outside the camp, far from the camp, and called it the tabernacle of meeting. And it came to pass that everyone who sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle of meeting, which was outside the camp. So it was whenever Moses went out to the tabernacle that all the people rose and each man stood at the tent door and watched Moses until he had gone into the tabernacle. And it came to pass when Moses entered the tabernacle that the pillar of cloud descended and stood at the door of the tabernacle and the Lord talked with Moses. And all the people saw the pillar of cloud standing at the tabernacle door and all the people rose and worshiped each man in his tent door. So the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend and he would return to the camp but as servant Joshua, the son of Nun. Joshua didn't have any parents. A young man did not depart from, that was a joke, folks. So, <laughs> the son of Nun. The, anyway, a young man did not depart from the tabernacle. Oh, my. <laughs> Moses, he takes his tent, he folds it up, and I can imagine Moses doing this. 
He's grieved. The Lord says, you know what, Moses, lead him. My angel's going to go, but my presence isn't going to be with you. So he folds up this tent, and he walks outside to camp. Now, this isn't, you know, a Boy Scout camp. This is two and a half million people. So he's hoofing it through the camp. He goes outside of the camp. He sets up his tent. He calls it the tabernacle meeting. Now, don't let it be confused with the tabernacle that we've been reading about in chapters 25 through 31, which we are going to see the actual construction of when we get to chapter 35 here and um, through the end of the book. We're going to see a repeat of what we've looked at, and um, it's the actual construction of the tabernacle. Moses shown the pattern of the tabernacle in those chapters that we've read. Now we're going to see the actual construction. So it has not been built. The tabernacle that, that is going to be where it's going to have the, the Ark of the Covenant and the mercy seat and the Shekinah glory of God and, and, and the holy place that we've been studying, that will be eventually placed in the middle of the camp. And the children of Israel camped in orderly fashion around the tabernacle. But this tabernacle meeting, this is something that Moses sets up outside of the camp. And it's interesting, in verse 7, it said that uh, whoever sought the Lord went out to the tabernacle meeting, which was outside the camp. But Moses, as he would go inside that, 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 that tabernacle, he would go in and he would fellowship with the Lord. And I love what verse 11 says, that the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. I think that verse is also worth remembering and worth underlining in your Bible. Now, it wasn't that, that Moses, again, was, was talking face-to-face with God, literally, because John chapter 1, no man has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has declared him. Matter of fact, we're going to see at the end of the chapter here in just a few moments that we're going to see that Moses wants to see the glory of God, and the Lord says, you can't see all of me. You can't see my glory. It'll consume you. It's too much for you. And so here it's, it's an expression of that, that here is God talking to Moses face to face as a man talks to his friend. Now you know how that's like out there in the coffee shop when you're sitting and you're talking with somebody and, and you're fellowshipping with them and you're talking face to face. There's a closeness that's there, isn't there? When you're talking to you know, a family member, when you're talking to a good friend, maybe at the coffee shop or at Starbucks or somewhere at the break at work, that closeness, that fellowship that's there. And that's what's being expressed in this. And, and Moses here, now think about this. Here is Moses, probably busier than all of us put together. I mean, I cannot imagine his ministry. I don't know anyone who has a church as big as Moses or has ever had a church as two and a half million people. And Moses is, you know, he's a busy guy, isn't he? I mean, he's up on the mountain. He's getting a pattern to the tabernacle and, and all of this. And meanwhile, he's dealing with all these people that are down below sinning and stuff. And, and God wants to consume them. I mean, his plate is full here. But Moses knows something that's very, very important that I hope that you and I understand that very important. And that is that we spend time with the Lord. That we spend time knowing him as we have our devotions on a daily basis. That we spend time in prayer to him and speaking to him. The Lord desires to speak to us and primarily how he speaks to us is through his word. That's why it's so wonderful to study God's word. And it's wonderful to get into a routine that you be one, that you're studying God's word on your own. 
that, you, that you're reading the scriptures. You're allowing the Holy Spirit to speak to you and, and to teach you in that way. And the Lord's speaking to you as you do that on a daily basis. And then you talking to God as you just, you're praising Him and worshiping Him and praying to Him. It's important that that has taken place, that communication between you and God and God and you. And He desires that, that intimate closeness and fellowship with you. And that's what's so wonderful about being a Christian. It isn't just about religion. It's about relationship. And it's about knowing our personal God who created us and knows us. He's an awesome God. But it also has provided for us Jesus Christ who went to the cross at Calvary to die for you and for me. And as he died for you and for me and he rose again, and now as we have come in faith, we have, as the scripture says, reconciliation with the Father. That is, we have relationship with the Father and we can come to him. And we've talked about this and I know that you know this. But what a marvelous opportunity and privilege that we have to be able on a daily basis, not just in the morning, but any time that we want, to be able to spend time with God and to talk with him and to fellowship with him and have closeness with him. And that's what Moses is doing here. He just wants to know the Lord. And that's what is going to be his heart. But Moses here is being an example, isn't he? He's being an example to the people because it's so easy for us to say, you know what, I don't have time to have quiet time with the Lord. I got busy things to do. You know, I got get going. I got to get out the door and all these other things. But my, my prayer is, is that people would know that for you and for me that a priority in our lives is that we are men and women that desire to spend time with the Lord and to know him. And, and uh, not that we go around bragging about it, but they just know innately what's very important is that, that we spend time with the Lord praying and we have that devotion and it's spoken of in, in conversations at times. Yeah, when I was reading my Bible this morning, the Lord spoke this to me. Or perhaps they see you reading your Bible at, at the break or, you know, at lunch break or know that you're heading out to Bible study after work or whatever it might be. And here's Moses so busy and I imagine the people just watching him, just, just watching him walk through that camp. And going, wow, and there he is talking with God as God in the pillar of cloud would descend in that tent. And so having that fellowship with the Lord and, uh, and, and taking the time to do that. And we need to take the time to do that as well in our own lives. Um, that we take time to just spend with the Lord. And notice here also another point that I want to make in verse 11. Notice that Joshua here, the young man, did not depart from the tabernacle. Now, last week we saw Joshua that was partway up on the mountain when Moses was with God. There's two things that I see with Joshua. Number one is his obedience. Here he is. He's just there. He's Moses' assistant is what we have learned so far about this young man, Joshua. And he's there assisting Moses, there next to his side, just being where he needs to be. He wasn't in the camp where all the happening is going on and everything and all the activity. He was there at the tabernacle. He's there at the mountain, you know, and Moses is meeting with God and the people down below. But one thing about Joshua, one of the reasons why I believe that God used him in such a mighty way after the death of Moses, of course, Joshua would then lead the children of Israel into the promised land across the Jordan River is because of his obedience and his servant heart and thirdly, because he was close to the Lord. He was at the tabernacle, and he stayed there. Wherever the presence of God was, it seems like Joshua is just right there. 
And I think that Joshua was one that was growing at this time and beginning to understand the Lord and beginning to, to see the wonderful example of Moses as well and how important it was to spend that time with the Lord. And so as we see, Moses meets with the Lord and he begins to, to cry out to the Lord, share his heart with the Lord. Verse 12, then Moses said to the Lord, see, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name and you have also found grace in my sight. Now, therefore, I pray, if I have found grace in your sight, show me now your way that I may know you and that I might find grace in your sight and consider that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then he said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. In verse 17, so the Lord said to Moses, I will also do this thing that you have spoken, for you have found grace in my sight, and I know you by name. And so we see here as, as Moses brings up this concern, you know what, I understand that we can go into the promised land, but here's the thing, I want to know you. And I want to know your ways. And Lord, if we found grace in your sight, notice how many times he says grace in the verses that we've read. If we found grace in your sight, show me your way that I may know you. If we found grace in your sight, then to make us a special nation among all the other nations. If we found grace in your sight, then you go with us. Because if you don't, your presence doesn't go with us into the promised land, I don't want to go. Don't bring us up from here. You see the heart that Moses has for the Lord? Moses saying, I don't want to go into a land flowing with milk and honey. It would have been very easy for Moses to say, okay, okay, I guess if you don't want to go in your presence, we'll go ahead into the land flowing with milk and honey. It's going to be great. You know, fertile land's going to be super. And here I go. Thanks for all you've done, Lord. I mean, it wasn't that mentality. It was, Lord, I'd rather stay out here in this hot, dry, dusty, barren desert with you. Right here in this tabernacle meeting, this tent. Than to go up into a land flowing with milk and honey. If your presence isn't going to go with us. If we found favor, grace, Lord... May your presence go with us. And the Lord says, my presence will go with you and I'll give you rest. But here's the thing for you and I to think about. You know, for me in my life, and, and, and the Lord's, you know, has been worked in my heart in years of ministry. You know what? If the Lord said, you know what? I'm going to make you the most famous pastor in the whole world. You'll have the biggest ministry, most glorious, huge You'll be known all over the world. You'll reach thousands. You'll do all this and stuff. But my presence isn't going to be with you. What would my reaction be? And I know for me that the Lord's bringing me, and I know you as well. The Lord, whatever you have for me, that I don't want to be anywhere away from your presence where you want to lead me and guide me yourself. 
You see, oftentimes what happens, you've heard me say this before, is churches say, well, let's do this, and let's be this grand and big and stuff, and Lord, bless it, will you come be with us, you know, come behind us? I want to say, Lord, where do you want us to go so we can be with you and follow you? I want you to lead. I don't want to go anywhere where your presence isn't going to be, where, where Lord, you don't want me to be. And, and Lord, whatever you have for me, and in any way that you use me, that's grace. One person that comes to Bible study, that's one more than I deserve to come. It really is. And Lord, I'm thankful for where you've placed me and how you've blessed me in my life. You see, I want to be where, where God is. I want to be where he wants me to be. I, I don't want to just, you know, leave him behind or get ahead of him. or I don't want to lag behind him either. Just where you are, Lord, where you want me to be. And that's what Moses is saying, Lord, your presence, go with us. Otherwise, I, I don't want to go up into the land. I just want to be where you want me to be. And I want to know you, and I want to know your ways. And so, again, we see Moses just wanting to get more intimate with the Lord. And then we see in verse 18, and he said, Please show me your glory. And then he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And he said, You cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, Here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. And so it shall be while my glory passes by that I will put you in the cleft of the rock and will cover you with my hand while I pass by. And then I will take away my hand and you shall see my back, but my face shall not be seen. And so Moses says, oh, again, he's just wanting to know God more intimately, wanted to know the, the see, the glory of God. And, and, and the Lord says, you can't see all my glory. Moses, it'll consume you. But here, what I'll do is hide in the cliff of the rock, I'll pass by, and you'll see my afterglow. That's where we get the term afterglow. You'll see my afterglow. And so Moses there on that mountain, again, meeting with the Lord, um, just pleading with the Lord, your presence go with us. I want to know you more. I want to know your glory. I want to know your ways. That should be our prayer as well. In chapter 34, and the Lord said to Moses, cut two tablets of stone like the first ones, and I will write on these tablets the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Now you recall the first tablets that God made those tablets and then wrote on those tablets and then Moses came down and he threw those tablets down and broke the tablets. And as I said, Moses is the only man that ever broke all 10 commandments at once. But he broke those tablets and here the Lord says to Moses, now I want you to make the tablets and then God's going to write on those tablets again, the Ten Commandments. And so be ready in the morning and come up in the morning to Mount Sinai and present yourself to me there on the top of the mountain. And no man shall come up with you and let no man be seen throughout all the mountain. Let neither flocks nor herds feed before that mountain. So he cut two tablets of stone like the first ones. And then Moses rose early in the morning, went up Mount Sinai. And the Lord had commanded him and he took in his hand the two tablets of stone. So Moses gets up early in the morning, he's going to meet with the Lord, and the Lord now is going to declare his name to Moses and then reaffirm the covenant with Israel in this chapter. But notice here, and, and I'm, I'm just pointing this out because you'll notice this as you go throughout the Old Testament, particularly <clears throat> that you'll pick it up on it, with those that God used very greatly, that they rose early in the morning. They rose early in the morning. You'll see it with David over and over again, with Joshua, you'll see it with the prophets. You'll see with Daniel, you'll see it all throughout that phraseology. They rose early in the morning to spend time with the Lord. 
And again, there's a pattern that's there. And whenever we see a pattern that's there, I think it's important for us to take note of that. And here Moses rode early in the morning to, to go and meet with the Lord. Now, I know that, you know, that the new covenant, and, and because we have access, as Hebrews 10 says, because of the blood of Jesus Christ into the Holy of Holies, that we can meet with the Lord any time that we want. But there's something very special about the early morning. And again, starting your day with Him and starting your devotions with Him, getting your marching orders, hearing from the Lord, spending that time with the Lord in the, in the quietness of the morning. And that early morning may be different for some of us. Some of us maybe work night shifts or swing shifts. So that's a different time. For some of us, that is very early. I know some of you guys go to work very, very early. But it may be at 4.30 in the morning or 5 in the morning. But I know for me that if I'm not up early having that devotion time, as soon as the noise of the day starts, man, it's hard to get that time in, isn't it? So the early morning, you'll see that pattern all throughout the scriptures of those that God used in a mighty way that were very close to the Lord and, 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 and understood the heart of the Lord and um, were ones that would hear the voice of the Lord. So the Lord descended, verse 5, in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. And the Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord, God merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head towards the earth in worship. And then he said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us, even though we are stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us as your inheritance. So the Lord here, as Moses goes up on the mountain, speaking to Moses, declares his name to Moses, doesn't he? And he says, I am the Lord, the Lord, L-O-R-D, capitalized. That's the name of the Lord, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. And the earliest scribes, the Jewish scribes, made it that way, the name of God. It means the name. So there are places they put the name or Yahweh, but they made it where it's, you know, no vowels, so they couldn't pronounce it because they revered the name of the Lord so much. So the Lord, the Lord, and then he declaring his name. Again, his character and his nature is declared to us in his name. So first of all, that I, the Lord, the Lord, God merciful. So he's a merciful God, and, and that term means full of compassion. And again, as I mentioned in it, in Psalm 78, verse 38, in the Exodus, that the Lord, being full of compassion, forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. Yes, many a time he turned his anger away, is what the psalmist writes, and forgave their iniquity and did not destroy them. And uh, so the Lord was very compassionate. He showed that compassion and that mercy when he did not consume the children of Israel. He said in the law, don't have any other gods before me. Don't make any graven images. If you do, then surely you sh shall be put to death. And so he was going to consume the nation, but he's full of compassion, full of mercy. It was Moses that was appealing to that, to his grace. Now, mercy means not getting what you deserved. Not getting what you deserved. They didn't get the judgment in being consumed by the Lord. The Lord was merciful to them. You and I, the Lord is merciful. We've received God's mercy, haven't we? We're not going to get what we deserve, and that is God's judgment in hell. We deserve that, is what the scripture really says. People talk about to me, and it really kind of, you know, I, 
I kind of sigh a little bit when somebody says, well, I deserve this. I deserve this ministry and this blessing and all this. And I think, you know what we really do deserve? I'll tell you what we really deserve is we deserve God's judgment. And we deserve hell because the wages of sin is death and separation from the Lord. That's what we have done. But because God is merciful, we aren't getting what we deserve. And then his grace, that is that unmerited favor of God. The unmerited favor of God. Uh, receiving the favor of God that we don't deserve. Receiving what we don't deserve, his love and forgiveness and, and, and his uh, reconciliation, that is, uh, that is relationship with the Father. And, and, and so his grace being overwhelming, you know, we have his forgiveness and we have eternal life and we have relationship. God's mercy and grace, never forget that. Without grace, without mercy, we don't have anything. We're lost. And so because of his great grace, we have salvation in his love, that unmerited favor of God. And so here he, he says that the Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious. And um, again, that whole thing full of compassion. We're seeing the heart of Jesus showing us the heart of, of the Father. As Jesus looked at the multitudes there in Matthew's gospel, and as he saw the multitudes and had compassion for them, a sheep without a shepherd. We're going to see that again, once again, on Sunday in the feeding of the 5,000 when they came to Jesus, the multitudes. And it says, once again, they had compassion on them. And they began to heal them. And then he's going to feed them with that miracle meal that, that most of us are familiar with there in Matthew chapter 14. So he's merciful. He, he's, he's full of compassion. He's gracious to us. Um, and then thirdly, long-suffering. And uh, certainly um, what it means is God is slow to anger. And he was slow to anger. And I know he's been long-suffering with me in my life. And I'm so thankful for that. And in abounding in goodness and truth is what he declares as well. Because he is truth. And he is good. The scribe's going to come to Jesus and say, Good master, you know, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus stops him, gets him to think a little bit. He says, You call me good. Do you know that only God is good? And Jesus wasn't saying that he is not God. What he was saying to that scribe is, Think about what you're saying. You're calling me God. You're recognizing that I am God, aren't you? Because you're calling me good. He's getting him to think, you know, a little bit. So here is God. He's full of goodness. He's, he's full of truth. And then also, as he declares his name, by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity, or let me back up, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity, transgression, and sin. So he forgives sin. Sin means missing the mark, doesn't it? You have a target. You have an archer. Pow. He misses the mark. That's what sin means. So he forgives sin. We may be not intending to miss the mark, but we do. Then there's transgression. Transgression means that there's a line there, you know it's there, and you cross over that line. You do it on purpose. Lord, I know this is wrong. I know that, that what your word says, but I am going to be disobedient. I'm going to transgress. I'm going to cross that line anyway. And then iniquity has the whole idea of uh, perverting the ways of God. And so here in his mercy and grace and long-suffering and full of goodness and full of uh, truth, uh, he brings 
forgiveness, forgiven iniquity, transgression, and sin, but by no means clearing the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children, to the children's children, to the third and fourth generation. In other words, what Moses, what Moses is hearing from the Lord as the Lord declares his name. And there's a lot of confusion in this. And there's a doctrine that can come up, and we talked about this before in Exodus chapter 20, of generational curses. That because of your father or grandfather or great-grandfather, four generations back, if there was sin in their lives, it's going to hold you in bondage. And so they take this verse and they try to support that, you know, generational curses and bondage. And you're in bondage because of what your great-grandfather that you never knew did, and now it's on you. And, and um, I remember when probably about six, seven years ago, um, there was a group that came in and had these big seminars. A lot of people in Greeley went to them, this generational curses. And if you are, you know, in bondage to this and this, it's because of what your great-grandfather did, and this is what you have to do to get free from it and all of this. And I know that several of the pastors, and we had a few people, were cleaning up the mess after they got done with them and confusing them and saying, well, I'm in bondage because of generational curses and all of this. This is not what it's saying. What the Lord is saying is, I'm going to visit the iniquity of the children's children to the third and fourth generation. That is, from generation to generation from generation, I'm going to keep convicting of sin. Because my word is true. And, and Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, in declaring his name here, this should dismiss any thought that we should have that God is, you know, a mean and nasty God in the Old Testament and, you know, mellows out in the New Testament because Jesus is on the scene. But Jesus said, Philip, don't you know if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you want to know what the Father's like, look at me. And he declared to the people, he said, the Father and I are one. To, to know me is to know the Father. I do no works apart from, you know, the Father. He's the, the exact or the perfect image of the invisible God, Colossians chapter 1. So he's the exact representation. They're one. So if you want to know what God is like, we look at Jesus. He represents God, you know, and, and, and perfectly because there's one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But, but here, Jesus is the same today, yesterday, and forever. God is the same, and, and his word is the same. His word will never pass away, and his word doesn't change. But sometimes we come along in our society and, and there are more pastors and leaders behind the pulpit saying, well, we need to change the Bible you know, to fit our society and, and be politically correct and, and all of this. And so we need to start calling sin good and saying it's acceptable. And the Lord says, no, from generation to generation, my word is true. And when I call it sin, it is sin. And I'm going to keep convicting from generation to generation to generation. Do you understand what I'm saying? Completely different than what some of the others come along saying you have this curse because of what great-grandfather did, you know. I understand that what our parents did can have an effect on us, but when you come to Christ, you're free. You're free from the bondage of sin. You have the Holy Spirit in you to work in your life, and, and you don't have to be in bondage to that stuff anymore. But the Lord will come along and convict us of sin and, and, and desiring for us to repent and turn to Him. And notice here, verse 9, that He says, as the, here Moses again, Oh Lord, I pray, you know, uh, if we found grace in your sight, you know, we're stiff-necked people, pardon our iniquity we sin, and take us as your inheritance. Isn't that amazing? Take us as your inheritance. It amazes me, Ephesians chapter 1, 
when Paul's praying for the saints there, he takes them into the heavenlies as he talks about all the wonderful blessings that we have in Christ, that you've been redeemed, you've been forgiven, you've been chosen, you you know, have an inheritance, and we have an inheritance in Christ. Remember that. We, we are joint heirs with Christ. Isn't that wonderful? I mean, for all eternity, the riches of Christ are going to be ours. So please never exchange that riches for the riches of the world. Because the riches of the world are going to go away. But then Paul, later in that chapter, he prays that you may come to understand your eyes being enlightened and come to understand what is the riches of, and glory of his inheritance in the saints. You and I are his inheritance. He's saying here, my people are, are take us as your inheritance. And, and I think, wow, God sees us as an inheritance? He sees me as an inheritance? I think God's getting the short end of the deal. But you see, that's how he values us. And that's what I want you guys to understand, how much the Lord values you. And that's why he says, ah, as we saw on Sunday, Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who found a field and a treasure hidden in the field, and he gave all that he had to buy the field to what? Take the treasure out. The treasure's you and me. He found a merchant, a pearl, great price, to buy, you know, the, the pearl, great price. You're a gem to the Lord. You're valuable. You're a treasure. You are his inheritance. And never forget that. And so quickly we'll finish the chapter. And he said, Behold, I make a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among whom you are see, shall see the work of the Lord. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I am driving out from before you the Amorites and the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Perizzites and Hivites and the Jebusites. Take heed to yourself, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land where you are going, let it, lest it become a snare in your midst. Verse 13, And you shall destroy their altars and break their sacred pillars and cut down their woman, wooden images. For you shall worship no other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous God. In other words, what the Lord is saying is, I'm jealous for you. I'm not jealous of those other gods. Those other gods are nothing. But I don't want to share you with anyone. I'm jealous for you because of my love for you. And so I want to do awesome things for you. And, and don't get involved with those things that are false. When you go into the, the promised land, don't get involved, as, as we read, with, um, the, you know, destroy the sacred pillars and, and the wooden images. Um, verse 15, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land. Play the harlot with their gods and make sacrifice to their gods. And one of them invites you, and you eat of his sacrifice. And you take of his daughters and for your sons, and his daughters play the harlot with their gods, and make your sons play the harlot with their gods. You shall make no molten gods for yourself. And so don't have anything to do with that which is false. It's going to ensnare you. It's going to trap you. It's going to trip you up. Don't marry their daughters. Don't make a covenant with them. Have nothing to do. Tear down the sacred pillars. Now it's interesting. When we go through the history of the different kings of Israel and Judah, the kings of Israel, they are all idol worshipers. But the kings of Judah would have some good kings and some bad kings. But some of those good kings, some of the mistakes that they made is, is that when their fathers before them that had idol worship, they would, would you know uh, put away the idols and stuff, but they would keep some of those places, that sacred pillars and stuff of idol worships, they didn't deal with it. They didn't destroy them. Don't have a sacred pillar that is false somewhere camped out in your heart. All right? 
get rid of it. And what happened, it ended up becoming a, something that ensnared them in Judah because those kings did not fully get rid of all the sacred pillars. The Lord says, just get rid of all of it. Get rid of it. Don't have anything to do with it. And so he's going to reaffirm his covenant. Verse 18, the feast of unleavened bread you shall keep. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread as I command you in the appointed time in the month of Abed. For in the month of Abed you came out from Egypt. So again, Passover, that began on the first day of the month, or uh, the tenth day of the month of Abed. That's the beginning of their years. And then followed by the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We talked about that in chapter 13, verse 19. All that opened the womb were mine, and every male firstborn among your livestock, whether ox or sheep. But the firstborn of the donkey you shall redeem with the lamb. And if you will not redeem him, then you shall break his neck. All the firstborn of your sons shall be redeemed, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. And you shall observe the feast of weeks and the first fruits of wheat harvest and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. And three times in the year all your men shall appear before the Lord, the God, Lord God of Israel. In verse 24, I will cast out the nations before you and enlarge your borders. Neither will any man covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. So here the Lord is... Again, reiterating the, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, the law of the firstborn that we've talked about already, the Sabbath law being reiterated, the three agricultural feasts, verse 22 here, that you are to observe that, that we've discussed already. And then the Lord says that your males are to come up three times a year in those feasts and seek me and know that I'm going to take care of you. Know that I'm going to take care of you as you do that. And sometimes in life, because it gets so busy, doesn't it? We can think, Lord, I don't have time to go to, to Bible study. I don't have time to be in fellowship. I don't have time for you. And the Lord says to you that as you take time, no, I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to meet your needs. I'm going to honor that. And I think it's important for, for us to remember that. Maybe there's a retreat that the Lord wants you to go on. or Maybe there's the mission trip that some of you guys are thinking, boy, I've got to take this weekend off. And, but Lord, I know you want me to go to, to, to be with the guys and to serve you. Know that the Lord, is he's telling you to do that, speaking to your heart, he's going to take care of you. He's going to take care of your family. He's going to honor that as you just go and do what the Lord wants you to do and as you desire to seek him. And that's what he's saying to them. Hey, I'll take care of you. In verse 25, you shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with leaven, nor pass the sacrifice of the peace of the Passover. Be left until morning. The first of the first fruits of your land you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in his mother's milk. And so, again, all these things we talked about, the Lord desires for us to bring him the first fruits of our lives, doesn't he? Oftentimes what we bring him is the leftovers. He says, I want the first fruits of your time of your devotion, of your talents, of your resources. I want the first fruits of your life. And then the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for according to the tenor of these words, I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote the tablets of the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. And now it was so, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai, and the two tablets of testimony were in Moses' hand, 
when he came down from the mountain, and Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. So when Aaron and all the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, <clears throat> the skin of his face shone, and they were afraid to come near him. Then Moses called to them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned to him. And Moses talked with them, and afterwards all the children of Israel came near and gave them as commandments all that the Lord had spoken with them on Mount Sinai. Verse 33, when Moses had finished speaking to them, he put a veil on his face. But whenever Moses went in before the Lord to speak to him, he would take the veil off until he came out, and he would come out and speak to the children of Israel whatever he had been commanded. And whatever the children of Israel saw the face of Moses and the skin of Moses' face shone, then Moses would put a veil on his face again until he went in to speak with him. Just a couple more minutes. I know it's getting late, but we'll finish up with this tonight, and then we'll be dismissed after we pray. Moses goes on the mountain. He comes down. The, the countenance of Moses is shining. He comes down with the Ten Commandments and the law, and he starts saying to the people, you know what, thus says the Lord, and he starts giving the law again, and they're going, uh-huh, yeah, Moses. Hey, Mo, man, your face is aglow, you know. Put a veil on. So he puts a veil on. And he go up on the mountain, his face shining, and then he put a veil on. Now it's interesting because Paul writes to the Corinthian church, the reason he put a veil on is because that countenance would begin to fade. But then he'd go up on the mountain again, he'd be in the presence of God. But he came back and he was shining. The glory of God shining, the countenance. How amazing that must have been. I want to close with this. You want to give people truth? You need to, to give people God's command. You want to you know, lay down the law to your kids. I'll tell you the best way to do it. It's important how your countenance is. And I pray that as we minister to people, do they see that, that you've been spending time with the Lord? That just that the... the the Lord is being seen in your countenance, that, that you're glowing, that it's evident the love and, and the compassion and the grace and, and, and yes, being steadfast and that all that is a part of that. Because sometimes we can talk with people that, you know, ooh, they're going to lay down the law and they're going to tell you and it's like, yuck, you know? And it's very judgmental, or it's very harsh, or it's kind of like something. It's very important, your countenance, when you talk with people, when you've got to bring them correction, rebuke, or God's word, or whatever. When people come up to see me, that I'm not snarling and, and, and all of this, but they see the countenance, some evidence that I've been with the Lord. Do you know what I'm saying? And then they're going to be able to receive from you. Whoever it might be that you're ministering to. And only one way to show that countenance, and that is to be in the presence of the Lord, spending time with Him. And allowing Him to do that work. So the countenance of the Lord glowing on your face, the love of the Lord being evident in your life, that you care about people. I care enough... To say, brother, you know what? This needs to stop in your life. You need to turn to the Lord. Or sister, you know what? 
This is what God's word has to say because he cares about you and loves you. Not snarling and growling and pointing. And There's a big difference. And even with our kids, as, as we talk to them and, and we know that we have to do that in this day in which we're living in, we have to say no to them. And we have to say you're not going to go there or get this or whatever it might be. And they may not understand. But to sit them down and to deal with their hearts and, and to show your heart that I care about you and, and God cares about you. And he doesn't want you to get hurt or involved in sin and go in this direction. Because it will be in snare to you and trap you. And to have that countenance of, of God's compassion and grace and mercy is being shown to others. And I'll tell you what, you'll be able to minister to them effectively and they'll listen to you but if it's just spitting out words of, of harshness and being all judgmental and, and um, being condemning and, and tearing down on all this people are going to say you're, you're just mean and if that's what being a Christian is all about I don't want to listen to it big difference in how we talk with people and the attitude that we talk with and the countenance of the Lord that is being seen, that they could say, wow, you've been with the Lord because you have God's wisdom and you have God's truth that you're sharing with me. And I can tell you really care. And it makes a big difference when you do that. And so, Father, we thank you that, Lord, these things that we have seen and, and, and Lord, looked at very carefully and Lord there's so much here but Father we see a heart of a, a man Moses that desired to know you and just wanted to be where you were didn't want to go anywhere where you weren't going to go and I pray that would be our hearts and a man who who, who was understanding your name declared gracious and merciful and long suffering seeing that worked out amongst the people. And a man that, that brought the law, but Lord also brought the countenance of God that was seen on his face. So Father, I pray that that would be our hearts and that would be our desire. Just that countenance being shown. 